Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Morocco Jones, The Syndicate's Golden Angel, written by Jack Baines. Morocco Jones vs. Mafia, Murders, Malls, and Mayhem The wheels on the Syndicate's deadliest racket, taking over unions to leverage the old protection racket on whole industries, have begun to steamroll over the shipping business in the quiet California town of Pacific Port. They send an SOS for the one-man army, P.I. and ex-spy Morocco Jones. His name is whispered in secret and in awe, from Budapest to Bangkok, from Copenhagen to Cairo. He's the toughest, smartest operator ever to work and survive the roughest racket of them all, overseas counter-espionage. He's the guy who rocked the mafia on its heels in Chicago, the guy who took border cities' underworld apart with his bare hands, the man who's come to take the Cosa Nostra by the throat and end it once and for all if he survives the baited one-woman death trap called the Syndicate's Golden Angel. The final book in the classic series that took the war to the Mafia a decade before the debut of Mac Bolan, the Executioner. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Morocco Jones, The Syndicate's Golden Angel. Chapter 1 Driving down the mountain slopes toward Pacific Port, Morocco Jones had the highway pretty much to himself. Snow in the high mountains behind him had cut traffic. On the lower slopes, there was rain. Rain that slashed against the windshield and fell in a monotonous drum roll on the top of the caddy sedan. Behind the wheel, Morocco let his thoughts drift as he rested his hands on the wheel, letting the caddy's powerful motor eat up the miles in a purring rumble. His gray-green eyes under the slanting brim of the gray felt hat were speculative as he gazed through the watery film that gathered between each hissing beat of the windshield wipers. Driving out from Chicago had seemed a good idea at first. It was planned as an inconspicuous way of arriving in Pacific Port, but some inner sense told Morocco that it hadn't been working out that way. Throughout the trip, he had the nagging sensation of being watched. A few hundred feet ahead, in the long, slanting beam of the headlights, something stirred at the edge of the road. Towing the brake cautiously, he tried to make out what it was. Then he saw hands reaching up from the bank, clutching at the road shoulder. Morocco braked as sharply as the streaming pavement would allow. He saw a dark body behind the hands caught a glimpse of a face, mouth wide, lips pulled away from teeth that gleamed briefly in the headlights. The caddy came to a halt a few yards beyond the crawling man at the roadside. Morocco backed up slowly, noting the slope that dropped away from the highway to cascade down into the darkness below. The man had made the shoulder and was trying to stand up. He squinted at the headlights, panting. He squeezed the words out with effort. If you're another of the goons coming to finish me off, get it over with. I can't do a damn thing to stop you. Take it easy, Morocco said. I just happened to come along. Can you make it to your feet? Guess so, the man gasped. 
Legs okay. I've got some busted ribs. Maybe busted inside. It feels that way. With Morocco helping him, the man got to his feet. He groaned as Morocco helped him to the car and eased him into the front seat. Morocco started the caddy rolling. Your car go over the slope? The man said, truck. Morocco felt a tightening in the pit of his stomach. It's to hell and gone down there in a gully. I should be with it, dead. My rabbit's foot must have been working. Morocco was conscious of the man studying him. In the same strained, panting tone, the man said, If the wrong guys had spotted me, I'd have gone back in the gully with a few slugs in my gut. He was still staring at Morocco. If you're smart, stranger, you'll drop me at the edge of town. I'm not a safe guy to be seen riding with right now. Morocco made his voice casual. War on around here? The man snorted, then gasped with sudden pain. You can say that again, stranger. A bloody all-out war. You must have heard about it. Been enough stories about it in the papers. Morocco nodded. And I'm a guy who's right in the middle. So when we hit town, you just drop me and forget you ever picked me up. I'll be okay. The caddy swayed on a curve and the man clutched his side, groaning. I must be busted up inside, he gasped. We'll stop somewhere and find out, Morocco said. There's a joint about a mile down, bar and grill. A drink would help right now. A lighted globe over a glass door was haloed in the rain. The pair of plate glass windows on either side of the door were steamed on the inside. Around a corner of the frame building, Morocco caught the glint of light on the radiator of a parked car. The man beside Morocco scarcely seemed aware that the car had stopped. Pain had turned his long, bony face gray and filmed his dark eyes. Turning up the collar of his belted gabardine raincoat, Morocco got out of the car and helped the man into the grill. The room was big with a darkened lunch counter along one side. A bar lined the other wall. Two men in leather jackets turned to stare as they came in. A skinny bartender put down the glass he was wiping. One of the men at the bar had a lean, dark face, with a cheek scar that was dead white against his swarthy skin. His eyes were grotesquely small, set close and high on either side of the straight nose. The other customer was blonde, big, young. He stared blankly, mouth open. Then his mouth twisted into a grin of surprise and pleasure. His voice had a thick, rasping quality. Jesus, you again? I never thought you'd walk away from that one. The man chap Morocco had helped into the bar slumped back against the wall, his face emptied of all feeling. His voice was a mere breath of sound. And I walked into it again. When the two men slid off their bar stools, there were guns in their hands. They walked toward Morocco and the man he had rescued. The dark one said tonelessly, So we'll just have to do it all over again. Cold amusement touched Morocco briefly. The two men were remarkably self-confident. The man against the wall occupied all their attention. If they considered Morocco at all, to them, he was just a stupid Joe who had picked up a man by the roadside and brought him in to get help. The blonde man suddenly stopped smiling. 
Only you won't walk away again, Augie. Not when your guts are full of lead. The Dark One said sharply, Not here, Dale. Not anywhere. Morocco's voice was harsh with authority. His gray eyes turned to angry green. The man called Dell twisted his head to face Morocco, as Morocco figured he would. The four fingers of Morocco's left hand stabbed and pointed into Dell's face. His right had the gun as Dell screamed. The dark one whirled to level his shot at Morocco when the gun in Morocco's hand slashed him across the side of the jaw. The cracking sound was breaking bone. The goon was still falling as Morocco leaped for the bar, crouching low. The hands of the beanpole bartender came up with a sawed-off shotgun. His flat-chested torso leaned against the edge of the bar as he tried to find Morocco. Morocco reached up and caught a wrist. He jerked savagely. The bartender's feet came up, knocking bottles off a shelf behind him as he jackknifed over the bar. Morocco brought his gun down against the back of the bartender's head as he hit the floor. Morocco whirled at a sound behind him. The dark guy was lying on his face. The blonde man, Dell, was on his knees, hands clutching his eyes, his mouth uttering a high wail. Morocco brought the gun butt down on the back of his head and Dell joined his partner on the floor. The man they had called Augie stood against the wall, arms spread wide to support himself. For just a moment, shocked amazement wiped out the pain in his eyes and mouth. He gasped in awe. God almighty, who the hell are you? Morocco glanced at him. Just a guy who doesn't like dumb monkeys throwing their weight around. He turned slowly, his face a mask of granite concentration, his eyes twin green flames, the crag of his jaw pugnacious. No one moved yet Morocco sensed someone else in the room. He walked to the bar and ducked under the counterboard that bridged the open end of the bar. He kept the gun in his right hand as he said to Agi, who stood beside the door, If you can make it over here, I'll give you that drink. Agi staggered across the floor and caught at the edge of the bar to hold himself erect. Morocco turned, the gun still in his right hand, and reached for a bottle with his left. He let the bottle drop as he saw the blur of movement in the mirror and whirled. The gun kicked back against the heel of his hand as he threw a shot at the man in the open doorway. The intruder made a nice target, framed in the dim light of the washroom behind him. The slug hit the man in the shoulder. He slammed back into the washroom, the gun falling out of his right hand. Morocco ducked under the bar and ran across the room. The figure in the washroom didn't quit easily, he was down on one knee, reaching for the gun with his left hand when Morocco got to him and smashed the barrel of the heavy automatic across the back of his neck. Morocco walked to the bar and picked up another bottle. He poured a stiff slug into a glass and pushed it across the bar. Augie gripped the glass with both hands, tossed its contents down, and banged the glass back on the bar. As Morocco poured a second drink, Augie watched him with a new expression, momentarily wiping out the pain. I'm remembering something I heard recently. Something about a guy who was headed for Pacific Port on an assignment. We'll talk about that later, Morocco said. Right now, we've got to do something about you. He headed for the washroom, not even looking at the man on the floor as he stepped over him. He found what he had hoped he would, a long roller towel that hung in a dirty loop from the container above. 
Ripping the container loose from the wall, Morocco sprung it open and pulled out the roll of clean toweling. He pulled a snap blade knife from his pocket, separated the clean roll from the dirty length, and came back to the bar. Aggie had turned to watch him, his elbows hooked on the edge of the bar. Morocco said, let's get your jacket and shirt off and have a look. Aggie was well put together. Lean, hard muscles crawled like ropes on his heavy shoulders. Morocco turned him around and probed gently, and Aggie's breath hissed between his teeth. Looks to me like a bunch of broken ribs, Morocco said. If we strap you up, you're going to feel a lot better. He began to rip the toweling down the center to make bandages. When Aggie was strapped from his hip joints to his armpits, he sighed softly. Damned if it doesn't feel a hell of a lot better already. Morocco helped him back into shirt and coat and snapped, Now let's get the hell out of here. These monkeys are not going to be chasing anyone for a while. He crossed the room to the payphone at the end of the lunch counter and tore the telephone loose. They won't be telephoning ahead either. Augie made the crossing to the caddy without help. As Augie was easing himself into the seat, Morocco said, One more thing. He recrossed the parking space and rounded the corner of the building to the one parked car. It was a black Lincoln sedan. He lifted the hood, twisted the distributor head, tore it loose and threw it into the rain-streaked darkness. He glanced toward the front of the bar and smiled coldly. Now, let's see you slobs walk away from this one. They had driven a few hundred yards when Augie said flatly, So, you're Morocco Jones. The grapevine said that a tough operator named Morocco Jones was on his way to town. The vine gave him a hell of a buildup. The way you took those monkeys back there has to make you Morocco Jones. Morocco grinned as he took one hand from the wheel and shook hands with Augie. And you? Ogden Walsh, private eye, local. Hired by Big Ben Sheldon to ride his trucks and try to head off trouble. And I goofed. The poor bastard who was driving the truck is down the slope back there with a few tons of construction material on the back of his neck and part of the steering wheel through his chest. I was lucky. Got a door open in time to get thrown clear. Just how did it happen tonight? Those hoods in the bar, they ran us off the road. He paused. The two punks were ordinary muscle. The guy you took in the washroom was Duke Mantell, one of the top boys in the local rackets. What's the racket setup? It's about the same setup as they've got in a lot of towns where the hoodlums are taking over big labor unions. The big racket boss in Pacific Port is Larry Bruce. His right hand is Leon Minetti, who acts as his big man in vice, gambling, and dope. Naturally, this means some corrupted cops and politicians. A big moose named Max Gunther is in control of the labor setup as the top union organizer and boss. Augie was breathing a little easier now, and his words were losing some of the strained effort that had been behind them. Bruce's big moneymaker is his protection racket. He gouges practically every industry for insurance against labor trouble. If an industry refuses to pay, Bruce passes the word and Gunther pulls a strike. And Gunther's strikes are for real. They come complete with strong-armed goons who do wrecking jobs on the industry while the strike is on. The same goons slap down any labor member who dares squawk. Neat and nasty, Morocco said. 
And the citizens let them get away with all this? Up until lately. Up until this strike against the Sheldon Construction Company. And your boss, Big Ben Sheldon, dared to buck them? Morocco asked. Aggie shook his head gingerly. Not quite. Big Ben isn't that tough, though God knows he's a tough one. But he's smart, too. He's organized a lot of leading trucking and construction outfits into a special committee. With the committee behind him, Sheldon told Bruce to go to hell. So Gunther pulled his strike, the worst one yet. The committee members raised a sort of war chest to help Sheldon cover his losses. It's a grandstand fight to expose and bust Bruce and Gunther. His smile in the light from the dashboard was almost normal. So the committee has hired you. Oh, sure, I've heard it talked over. Morocco Jones, one of the toughest and smartest guys ever to work in the deadliest racket of all counter-espionage overseas. The same guy who rocked the syndicate on its heels in Chicago. Looks like I've been getting some advertising. And me thinking my job was hush-hush, Morocco said dryly. Augie matched the dryness of his tone. You'd be surprised how fast the grapevine works in a town like Pacific Port. Anyone else on this committee I'd be interested in? No one in particular. They're just a group of industrialists who are fed up to the ears with the shakedown. Oh, yes, the committee has hired another smart and tough guy named Carl Detz. He's a lawyer from back east, hired to collect the evidence for the showdown that's bound to come. The strike against Sheldon's company starts it. You come in as the wrecking crew and put the show in the limelight. Detz gets what he wants for the trials that will be staged when the violence reaches a peak that good government can't ignore. Then the Bruce Gunther rackets are run out of town. You like the setup? Morocco shrugged. It has some logic, but a lot of blank spots, too. How about Bruce and his outfit? Any syndicate connection? Again, Augie shook his head carefully. No connection that shows... Probably Bruce and his sidekicks have built their organization so cozy and tight that it'd be too tough for the syndicate's cotton-picking fingers to touch. On the other hand, there are angles to their setup that might give the syndicate ideas. But you haven't noticed any signs that they're nosing around? Morocco asked. Augie half turned his head. I'm not in your class, Morocco. Still, I'm not the dumbest P.I. in the world. Now that you mention it, there have been some signs. You know, such as a few strange guys in town now and then. The kind of guys that don't smell like legit business. As Morocco nodded his head thoughtfully, Augie went on. Never any in-town connection that shows, but like I said, something you can just faintly smell. Yeah, I know what you mean, Morocco said. Big fish follow little fish. I'll do some sniffing on my own. Is the committee bossing the fight out in the open against the protection racket? No direct committee orders. The way I understand the setup, the committee, behind closed doors, decided on a course of action, and Sheldon and Detz agreed to take on the job of pushing it through. They run the show and report to the committee. That, Morocco remarked, should save a lot of confusion and concentrate the action. Augie grunted. Yeah, 
But the kind of action the committee decided on is the kind that breeds casualties. Sheldon has to defy the strike and keep his trucks moving. They figure that's the only way they can focus public attention on the bully methods of the protection racket. He grinned at Morocco. Thanks to you, I'm still alive. But my job was small time compared with what you'll be handed. You'll have to be very damn good to stay alive, Morocco. I've been working at staying alive so long it's sort of gotten to be a habit, Morocco said. Now, is there anyone else I can count on? A few. A few cops are crooked. Most of them are with you. But one bit of God's truth, you can rely on me. Maybe I'm in bum shape now, but let a doc tape me up and I'll manage to stay on my feet. You'll get all the help I can swing. He nodded ahead to a horizon spotted with lights. That's Pacific Port. I'll show you where to drop me. From there, I can get transportation to a safe hideout. I'll give you a telephone number. You can reach me there day or night until I'm fit to get into active circulation. He grinned crookedly at Morocco. You sure as hell advertised your arrival. When Duke Mantell manages to get back to town, they'll turn all the dogs loose on your trail. They'll tear the town apart looking for you. Morocco snorted. For a long time, punks like that have tried to do what they'll be trying to do, and I'm still alive. As the caddy left the highway on a side road, Augie said, There's a residential shopping center just ahead. I'll show you the corner to drop me. At the corner, Augie eased himself carefully out of the car, saying, I guess you'll be checking in at the Olympia Hotel. I'll call you there any time I have anything. He repeated the telephone number he had given Morocco along the route. Call me back Prano any time I try to reach you and you happen to be out. Morocco reached across the seat and shook hands with Augie again. Looks like I did myself a favor when I picked you up, Augie. Could be, Augie agreed. I've probably got as many connections as any guy in town, and mine are all reliable. I'll be alerting all of them for anything that could help you. Good night, Morocco and don't trip on the curb. At the Olympia Hotel, Morocco eased the caddy down the long ramp to the basement garage, turned the car over to the attendant, and got the suitcase out of the luggage compartment. At the desk, Morocco found a reservation waiting, signed the registration card, turned his suitcase over to a bellboy, and said, slide it into the room, I'll be going up later. Crossing the lobby, Morocco shut himself into a telephone booth and dialed a number. A deep, resonant voice on the other end answered, Hello? Morocco Jones, checking in. The voice became warm and eager. Good, I've been waiting here in the office for your call. I figured you should make it this evening. Can you come straight over? As soon as I grab a bite to eat, Morocco said. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Morocco Jones, The Syndicate's Golden Angel. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.